Good afternoon. Welcome to Tales of Transformation. Today we have Christian Thompson in the studio. Christian is a pain and movement specialist um, and he's at the forefront of the human potential movement in the UK. He's a, an incredible man for his research. And Christian, is a, he's a martial artist, a world champion kickboxer and five-time British champion kickboxing. Christian does quite a lot and, and gives back a lot to the community as well, to helping disadvantaged children and teenagers learn martial arts. And we're going to hear a little bit about him today and, and some of the things that he's working on. And you know, I think I hope you're going to like it. Christian, how are you doing today? Ah, very good, thank you. Very good. And uh, thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, Christian, you are not a man, you're not afraid of controversy, you know, so maybe it comes from a martial arts background, you know, you're, you're able to handle yourself in a fight. Um, and I got a prickly question for you. I know you say, you know, in the nutrition field, people get their backs up qu quite a lot. And you have some interesting things to say on the, on calories in versus calories out. Well, well, would you mind uh, going into that for us today? Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so calories in, calories out is... Like, uh, like I was saying to you before, um, one of the most true statements you can make in the nutrition world, but at the same time, it can be one of the most detrimental and misleading things you can say to someone when they're trying to lose weight or when they're struggling to lose weight. And the reason being because it just makes them think that the best thing to do always is cut calories. Now, this is definitely not always true. And is something else that I have a real gripe about this, this mantra that people keep following at the moment, which is calories in versus calories out. And that is the fact that you're only ever measuring really half of the equation. And we're making massive assumptions in the other half. And what I mean by that is the fact that we measure carefully how many calories are in each food. And, we, and even if that, that number was right, because you've got to remember, there's a good 20-30% plus or minus difference to what we think is in the food to what actually is. So you imagine if you're thinking you were doing a strict 1500 calorie diet, it could actually be 20-30% to 30 more or less than that already. But if we forget that, how do you really know how many calories you're burning per day? We have many equations and, uh, that we put together to use to um, create examples of this and to, to predict what it is. But realistically, unless you're going to do a advanced lab test, you don't really know. Not only that, we, it's all very well accepted and very well known that the metabolic process is an extremely adaptive process. It's there and designed to keep you alive. So that means if there's no food in your environment, you stop burning calories at the previous rate to keep you alive. Because if you continue to burn two, 3,000 calories every day, and you're only on a 500 calorie a day diet, you're gonna burn through your energy stores, your muscle stores, your fat stores, everything, so quickly that you're not gonna survive very long, which we know doesn't happen. So, if we've got a dynamic process that changes based on environmental stimulus, which includes food and nutrition, but is not limited to, then how do we know how many calories you're burning, and if, we have a flawed calculation for in and a flawed calculation for out by putting that burden on already highly stressed people in struggling with their weight that often have even slight bouts of depression with these things and saying it's your fault you're just, you're just eating too much 
and continually ramming home that message to everyone, you're creating more of a problem than you're ever going to solve. Uh, Krishna, I totally agree with you. In, with my clients, I work on weight loss as well, and it's, it's about just trying to make those decisions that you feel good about because a lot of people, they carry a lot of guilt and shame into this. And, and so you're saying that, that, that this, you know, not flawed understanding of calories in versus calories out is contributing to people's feelings of guilt and shame it's, about weight loss. It's the gross oversimplification. That's what the problem is. It's not the fact that it's a misunderstanding of calories and calories out will change your overall mass. That's completely true. But it's the gross oversimplification of that fact where people say, oh, you just need to eat less and you just need to move more. Well, there's lots of people that eat less and move more. And there's lots of people by the calculation, by the numbers that these generic calculations uh, say they should be doing, they should be losing tons of weight, but they're not. So, so Christian, is, is this like a small population or is this like, or is this a lot? It's just because the people keep parroting it and, and, um, and they're saying it well, fully understanding it. Is like how many people are affected by this? Do you think like well, who, who are you know they're doing the right thing, but they're not getting the results? Well, considering the obesity crisis and also the many other medical epidemics such as diabetes, for instance, and heart disease, continue to grow in much more rapid numbers than we would expect, based on the growing health trends in the in, in, in worldwide, these diseases are still progressing faster than any health trend. So I would put a guess to a lot more people than even I predict. Yes. So I, I would say that we are, con we are continually oversimplifying you know, some basic facts because we don't want to take the whole story into account. This gives us the psychological ability to say, well, I, I tried that and it didn't work. Because it's much easier to say you tried and it didn't work then look for better answers. It, it's hard. It's hard. There's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of voices on the internet going saying each which way, you know, so to, to, to not, totally. Not only that, as a coach, it's much easier to blame the fact that they're not losing weight because they're not eating, uh, they're too, eat too much or they're not moving enough or they're lying to you about something because that's what I've seen a lot of people come to me with. It's like, go, yeah, I was working with so, with so and so and they, uh, I was eating exactly what they said, I was doing all the exercise they said, and I wasn't losing any weight, and you know, I should have been, I was doing everything perfect, you know, and, and they didn't know what was going wrong, they said, you must be lying to me. And you know, I've been in that position myself as a coach, going, oh, I'm telling them all the right stuff, they, they say they're doing all the right stuff. So just for a perspective, so the people out there know, um, you know you've been training for 13 years, you've been yeah, some, and, 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 and you used to maybe... 14 hours a day like guys Christian was a very prolific trainer before he became a pain and movement specialist so he, he's kind of seen it all and he's actually been a mentor to me in my own training others journey um so so just just as in from my perspective it's like hey guys you know put down the pizza put down the beer and and things will get better but you're saying that you've seen what, what have you seen I, I've seen someone on 500 calories a day exercising three times a week not lose a gram on the scales or a, a millimeter from around his waist and then what have one beer or two beers on one weekend and suddenly put on weight because he destroyed his metabolism his metabolism was so low that it was in is in a state of survival mode almost now i don't so, so christian you spoke of metabolism at the start but like do, do you want to you know i'm not mr science here and i'm sure some of my listeners they're they're, they're not 
uh, as up to it as you are on, on what metabolism. Do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I, I think it's quite misunderstood. Yeah, well, okay. If we, I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail. No, 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 don't. If we consider just the uh, implication of mitochondria. So mitochondria, little bacteria or little uh, proteins or complexes inside the cell that we think originated from a symbiosis between bacteria and a, and a bigger cell. So there's thousands of these in every cell. Yes, well, uh, th uh, there's, there's thousands of the most cells, should I say. There's very few cells that don't have mitochondria, like red blood cells being one of them. Um, now, these mitochondria are the energy-producing centers of the cell, and they create something called ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the basic currency of energy for the body. So, we have other ways of making ATP, but mainly it comes from the mitochondria, okay? And that's the most efficient way for us to make ATP. But the mitochondria also create free radicals, or also known as redox signaling molecules. Now, I'm not going to go into detail of redox signaling molecules, but because not all of them are bad, because free radicals, most people have a bad rap. Most people think, oh, free radicals, got to get rid of them. That's not entirely true, but I'm not going to go. It's kind of out of the scope of what we're yeah, going to talk let's, about let's, now. Let's, let's keep it yeah. broad right now. <laughs> but, um, but, so if, for instance, the mitochondria is stressed or the cell is stressed, it starts to create a free radical called nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide people want to create in many situations because it creates vas vasodilation, for instance. So it's actually a good thing in some places. But in this instance, what happens is nitric oxide binds to the same protein in that mitochondria that oxygen would normally bind to because nitric oxide is nitrogen and oxygen. So mm -hmm. very similar. This association with that protein stops oxygen being able to associate, stops the, the flow of electrons through these proteins, which will end up creating ATP. So that blocks the ability for the, the, the mitochondria to create ATP. But not only does it do that, it physically allows something called peroxynitrate, which is a very... Peroxynitrate is a very damaging free radical. It basically is some free radicals that are selective and some that are not selective. And that's one of them. So if you imagine a mitochondria starts realizing that it's not creating very much energy and that to even create the small amount of energy it's creating, it's actually creating more damaging free radicals than it's creating energy to mop up the dam or to fix the damage that is being created by the energy production. It so, then becomes so, so a if, very inefficient power plant, doesn't it? So if I'm understanding it right there, it's the ATP and the mitochondria which are generating the power. Yeah. But, you know, like in real life, when you generate power, there's pollutants. And, and like, is it fair to say, you know, from a very high level that that the free radicals are kind of like the pollutants, which are kind of, which are, are misunderstood pollutants, yeah. is what you're saying, yeah. basically. We, we, can, we can really simplify it down to that they are pollutants, but that's not not entirely accurate to what they are. I mean, I don't want to give people the impression that free rad all free radicals are pollutants. Yeah. But what we can say is that cer certain pollutants can be produced by this energy creation process. And if the pro energy creation process doesn't outweigh the pollutants being created, then mitochondrial activity slows down or shuts down. You get changes in the number of mitochondria and, 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 and the shape of mitochondria, and that changes the energy production inside the cell. So, so the energy, and, and how does that affect like you and me, as in just as so, in, and your man on the street? So imagine that we have poor energy creation efficiency in mitochondria. 
and we start shutting down those power plants or reducing the, yeah. the, the energy creation in them. That means you reduce the amount of energy you create, you reduce the metabolism that you have. That means you drop your metabolism So you down. can burn less fuel. It's, yes. it's basically like some of the power plants have been shut down and, and you can't burn as much fuel. Yeah. And then kind of, what happens to fuel then? Well, uh, then you have too many metabolites that cannot be broken down and used as fuel and they're stored. And stored as fat? Well, of course. Or, well, that's, okay. one of, that's one of the metabolites, fat or carbohydrates. So when you've, when you've got, so you've got glucose stores, which are stored as glycogen. And when you've got, when your glycogen stores are full, then any more glucose gets transferred into fat and then gets stored as fat. And then that often creates fatty liver and fatty tissues. And then even, even such as you get fat stores going into things like natural killer cells, like immune cells, which then affect your immune system and other things. So the, the slow metabolism can affect your immune system as well. Yeah. So, or, you know, people talk about the slow metabolism. Do, 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 do you want to like tell us what, what, what's going on without going too much mm -hmm. into the science? As in, a, just because I think it's a really misunderstood thing and, and, some, and some of the clients I've worked with, they actually have thyroid issues. And and you know, there's certain th things that we've taken actually taken to correct that. Yeah, well, the slow metabolism realistically is a result from the overproduction of stress. Really? Yes, because stress is what causes the shutdown of those mitochondrial power plants, those energy power plants. So the excess stress reduces the efficiency of the energy production process, therefore shuts down the energy production process, and then causes an excess in storage of metabolites. So what we're actually looking at in, in real terms is the balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. And most people will understand that as the fight or flight being the, the sympathetic nervous system and the rest digest being the parasympathetic nervous system. And they are two arms of the autonomic nervous system. Mm. Okay, and, and, and if someone out there has a slow metabolism, what, 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 uh, what remedies do you suggest? Well, first, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm quite uh, detailed in what I do. I try to make a lot of tests. He, he, he is guys, isn't yeah. I? As, as if you haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. And I try to make a lot of tests to see exactly where they are and what, what's happening on each and every day. But realistically, if someone has a sympathetic dominance causing a reduction in energy efficiency, then they're basically just going to need to take part in parasympathetic activities and reduce sympathetic activities. So, for, for instance, exercise is not always the best thing to do because it's a sympathetic activity. Really? So, if we go to the general adaptation response, if you have good resources and you create a stress, it will create an alarm response, a resistance, and a recovery phase. And often that will end up putting you at a higher baseline of ability. Yes, you will recover and be more, a more able to deal with that stress. But if you have a lack of resources, that can also create a negative response, creating a lower ability to deal with stress. So basically, depending on your resources or your starting state, a stress response or a sympathetic response can cause both a positive adaptation or a negative adaptation. So, so guys, just to put this in context, as in, um, Christian was, was my coach uh, on, on my physical training and, and nutrition. And I used to train, you know, I was a world championship athlete, and I used to train 15 times a week. and, and Years later, I did like it was a, training like a little bodybuilder. I was training a lot, you know, maybe six times a week, five times a week. With Christian, when I trained three times a week for 25 minutes, I put on more muscle and lots more fat. 
than ever. So, so I, I say this to a lot of people, you know, sometimes less is more as in, as in, Christian, mm-hmm. do you, you want, do you want to talk a little bit about that as in just, as in, as, yeah. as in how, how you don't need to do as much as in just, as well, in, so long as you work at the right intensity. To, to be honest, most, most of the people I, I get come on board with my stuff is straight away, they're banned from the gym and they think, okay, do some yoga, do some stretching, do some breathing, do some walking, go outside, do some grounding, you know, chill out, uh, eat this, these foods on these days, those foods on those days, depending on what the markers are that I, I test. Um, and it, it's, very, it's a very simple, very relaxed way of doing things. And once they're in a better state, then we get them back into the gym. And when we get them back into the gym, it's all based around making sure they're doing very simple but um, whole body type activities, you know, that aren't going to stress their nervous system, their, their, their coordination too much, their, 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 their adrenal response too much, then nothing's going to be too much, too fast. And we start them on very low intensity and build it up into a medium intensity range before taking a small break and then going from medium intensity into higher intensity by taking another break. And you always set back into medium intensity. So. I'm a very big fan of gradual overload. So I would start someone, if I had a fit person, healthy person in front of me that were coming to the gym and they wanted to improve their, their, their any, any exercise they wanted to do, let's just say it's bench press for something that's very relatable to many people. Let's say this athlete who was in a good shape and he, he wasn't overstressed or anything else and he had a 100 kilo bench press to make it simple for numbers and he wanted to improve that but he was struggling. I would put them back down to about 70% of what they can lift, so 70 kilos, and I'd work them up from 70 kilos to say 105, 110% and create small gradual progressions in in that process and making those small inclinations over consistent time is much more effective than trying to go hard or go home at the gym kind of thing. And guys, there's actually other implications to this, and it's something that that I do with my own clients. Sometimes people beat themselves up, don't they, Christian? Mm-hmm. About, about oh, I'm, I'm not able to do this thing. And sometimes we see people like oh, isn't they don't want to come back to the gym because they can't come in at the level that they were, and then they never come back. And they are and not gym guys, any type of exercise because you can't do what you did before. Yeah. So so Christian, like it has huge implications on, on yeah. the mindset, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, the first thing I have to teach people is you don't stop feeling guilty you didn't go to the gym or stop being guilty about what you've done it's too late to do anything about it first off yeah, yeah what's his, what's his <laughs> ever the pragmatist here guys ever the pragmatist yeah. yeah it's too late it's too late you, that, you, that's can't, the past. You, can't, you can't you can't do anything about it now so you can only use that information to make better choices in fact i do this i i talk about this all the time with myself and everyone that's around me and it's the idea of treating every single event like a science experiment you never ever lose because you're always gaining more information. And the reason is you go, what will putting my weight on the front of my foot do? What will putting the weight on the back of my foot do? What will having this extra intensity or this uh, or this less of intensity, what will be having this food or not this food have an effect? You get the answer to that result and that's always a positive because you always have more information. As long as you put that information and use it to make a better choice next time, so you always have a success out of every single juncture. Guys, as a Christian, he influences a lot of how I train people just because, um, you know, when I came to Christian, um, I'd been doing my bodybuilder routine for a while and my body was completely out of sorts. 
um, completely messed up. And my association with training was being in pain and not getting any results. Um, and Christian was able to, to just bring it back down to really simple stuff. And um, Christian, do you, do you want to, would you like to comment on, on how on how you transformed my body? Oh yeah, it was it was just simple. I mean, you wanted uh, gen, uh, general uh, the the general V shape, you know, the, the guys the guys get. And you want a bit broader shoulders. You wanted a decent 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 pair of legs to go with it. And it's like okay, we work on the most simple compound exercises to do that, which would have been things like uh, bench. Uh, overhead press, squat, deadlift, row, you know, some of the, the simple compound exercises, you put two different workouts together, we, two, we, we put, what we did, we put two different workouts together, we started off with very light weights, and we did a 12 week program over trying to increase those weights, the smallest possible increments each week, to get up to lifting much heavier weights, so, you know, I never lifted so heavy before, I never, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, we, we started on a weight that was like, we just just a bar, 20 kilos for most of the exercises. That's what we started on. And then we worked up to, you know, lifting much heavier, 60, 80 kilos by the end of the 12, the end of the 12 weeks in most of the exercises. So this in itself allowed us to create proper form with proper tempo because a lot of people also misunderstand that tempo is extremely important. It's one of the most important principles or should I say time? Because anything can be positive or negative if we have it in the right amount of time. For instance, too much of anything or too much of anything over a certain period of time is, a neg- is gonna cause a negative response. And you know, too little of something can also cause a negative positive response. Time is one of the most important variables. So if people are lifting with no understanding of time, then they are lifting with no understanding of what they're doing. So we need to make proper form, proper range of tempo for what we want to achieve. Because if we want to achieve better accuracy and impulse, like strength, we need to pay proper time to take the eccentric load down, so the lowering phase of an exercise. But if we want to create proper power generation, then we need to be able to contract from large ranges of motion and push with force and speed out of that position. And if we don't, then we're not going to be able to create proper accuracy, strength, or power. And by strength, uh, I've often started using the word impulse now after uh, some conversations with other people in my in the industry as well. No, it's it's, it's really interesting. And um, and Christian, you know, you you've come up with the superhuman experiment, uh, your group, and uh, guys, it's if you you know, it's in, look it up, the superhuman experiment. That, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, as in, guys, look it up on Facebook. Christian answers all your questions and. Sometimes there's a lot of detail, but it's in the, you know, you'll never be left wanting. But um, Christian, would you mind telling us about you know how you got into the, the performance space? Because I know you were talking about light and cold um, way before anybody else. Yeah. And I knew you were doing weight performance and you are giving workshops. Um, do, do, do you want to tell like, where did that start? And you know what are some practical things? Because I, I, I started using some of the, the things you've taught me with my clients and, and they love it. Yeah. In, um, it is in, they love it, they sleep so much better. Did you, yeah. do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I, I had health problems of my own when I, when I was fighting, when I was competing at an uh, international level, I still had health problems. 
Um, and then I retired because of a lot of those health problems actually as well. Now, really? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I stopped fighting. So um, I was constantly searching uh, for a way to get myself back into a decent level of health. And I just refused to believe any of the, 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 the basic GP advice or the, the doctor's advice saying, Oh, it's just because you're just because it's just because they, no one had any good answers. They had they all come up with very slight variations. Of the answer of just because, you know, it was just because I was, I was a professional athlete. Just because oh, you must not sleep enough. Oh, just because there must be something wrong. Um, oh, we'll do a blood test. Oh, there's nothing wrong with the blood test. No one really could find out what was going on. So this led me down the path of continuous learning about myself. Because feeling like you're going to fall asleep all the time if you sit down is a not nice place to be. You know? So, I mean, I really wanted to get out of that. So, so you kind of like narcoleptic or something? Well, is that what you're saying? Uh, well, but, but, but I mean, yeah. the sim- sim- like symptoms yeah. were sim- similar. Symptoms are similar. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't fall, I wouldn't just spontaneously fall asleep while walking down the street, which is more like what narcoleptic would be. But if I sat down and stopped moving for long enough, I would, my eyes would get heavy. I would get really tired, really lethargic all the time, you know. Training was the only thing that kept me awake. That's really? why I trained so much, you know, and uh, or one of the reasons I trained so much. Uh, so I was just continuously battering myself into a sympathetic drive to make myself stay awake and, and stay able to do things. And when as soon as I stopped doing anything, my body would really hammer in this, the parasympathetic drive to try and make me recover. So I was tired all the time. And when I finally figured out a lot of these things and started to work in a much more conducive way to my health, not only did I improve my strength, my aerobic stamina, but I also improved my health, my wellness, my ability to stay up, my sleep process, everything. So I was always looking for things, but um, I was introduced uh, and uh, well, I was introduced to many of these things by the fact that just the people I was hanging around with someone would have seen something from somebody else. And I just kept trying to research and look into all the best people in the world, all the experts, whatever they were doing. And I found that, in general, everyone was just selling something. But that didn't always mean that thing wasn't any good. I learned how to take brilliant ideas from stupid people, is what I said a lot of the time. And, you know, that's harsh. Not These people are stupid people, but it, it, it's, it, it seemed short-sighted, narrow-minded, to only be talking about this one thing when they even knew it wasn't right. Because I spoke to a few of them personally, these, these smart people that were selling this good product or this good thing, and I say, yeah, yeah, but you're saying it's best for everything, but really, this thing over here is better for this thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm selling this. And it, that's the and way guys, everyone was. You can see a lot of that in yeah. the fitness industry. You're selling out. It's the way the market runs. It's just that you know, people want to make a living and make money. And if, they, if they're not absolute about what they say, they don't. So they have to be absolute. But even if that means lying. So that's, that's somewhere I've struggled a lot and often. It's why you... Guys, uh, getting an answer to Christian is very hard, isn't it? <laughs> the best you get is... Well, it depends, okay? <laughs> which is, which is the, the most truthful answer ever, but it's the worst answer ever. Because yeah. you have to be specific. It's frustrating. Yeah. It can be frustrating. You have to be specific to get it right out, to get the proper answer. Guys, customization is everything. Yeah. So, you know, when I, Christian, when I work with the clients, work on customized approach yeah. to, to look after the body. Yeah, because yeah, everyone's an individual. Yeah. 
But um, some of the generic things that I, I spoke about before in terms that could benefit pretty much everyone, it, like you were talking about the life that was affecting the sleep. Um, so, for instance, if we just go for that for a moment, because there's so many things we can talk about. Zuma, so, yeah, so, yeah, so we, light. If we, if we go between improving sleep, because sleep is the ultimate biohack. It's the ultimate thing. If you're missing sleep, you're missing everything, because sleep is the foundation to your recovery process. Where all the recovery happens, pretty much, and um, one of the things that mo most greatly affects your sleep cycle is your circadian rhythm. Now, what that means in layman's terms is your internal twenty-four hour body clock. Mm -hmm. Now, light is the most important stimulus to affect that rhythm, and by what I mean is what time you see the sun first, or what time you see light first in the morning what kind of light you see throughout the day, and also when you stop seeing light. The color of blue, or the frequency of blue and green light particularly, they cause um, uh, inhibition of the production and secretion of a hormone called melatonin. And melatonin is a very important hormone for not only uh, to create sleepiness, to help you sleep, but for recovery during the night. And it also works in conjunction with uh, sulfur to actually help clean the brain out. So basically all the recovery process and the cleaning of, uh, of tissues and stuff like this in the brain, that happens due to melatonin. So if you don't have enough melatonin production, you're not cleaning your brain at night, therefore that's why you wake up foggy, you wake up, like uh, that's why naps are meant to be good because they're meant to be little so short it's cleaning processes. cleaning, okay, yeah. okay. So it's one of the main reasons why we sleep is to, to allow proper recovery and proper cleaning of, of uh, old uh, neurological pathways that aren't being used. Really? Yeah. So I remember you spoke about autophagy. So guys, yeah. autophagy like the process where the body would clean up all the, the dead, uh, useless cells overnight. Yeah. And, and, and you also told me about how when if you're not getting the proper melatonin release, it can lead to cravings? Do, 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 do. Uh, well, yeah, just generally because... Do, do, it, do, you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, it's more to do... It's not to do so much with melatonin. It's or more sleep, to, sorry. It's more sleep. to do with sleep. Sorry, yeah. sleep guys. So melatonin will cause a problem in sleep, which will then cause a problem in sympathetic stress responses, which will then cause a problem in cravings. Because it comes back down to that metabolism uh, topic we just spoke about earlier, if you have heightened sympathetic response and lower metabolic capacity due to the shutting down of mitochondrial factories, as it were, then you have less ability to use energy stores uh, as fuel and you need to use more glucose through a process called glycolysis which is a much faster and shorter term energy process okay so we can still create ATP without using mitochondria but it's just nowhere near as efficient nowhere near as much ATP but it does work in a much faster fashion so what we what we find is that we constantly reaching out for sugary foods to top up our blood sugar to top up the glucose level in our blood on our body so Christian, simply put, why do you use to improve sleep? Uh, so we basically reduce the blue and green light in your environment. So now there's a number of ways to do that. You can either live by candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, can, <laughs> you can change all your light bulbs in the evening for red red bulbs that will work, won't, won't produce as much blue or green, green light. Or mm -hmm. you can wear uh, a pair of blue blockers or what, what actually should be, uh, yeah, they're still blue blockers, they should be blue and green blockers now because 
the original blue blockers that people were wearing were all orange and yellow tinted glasses. But these only block the blue spectrum. So now the most effective ones that we found is the red tinted glasses that block the blue and the green spectrum. Because both of those spectrums will um, inhibit melatonin release. Mm. Blue more than green, but both will inhibit. So the easiest way is just to, to pick up a pair of blue and green light blocking glasses. It's one of them. It's one of the easiest ways, one of the most effective ways. But I mean, people still have to realize we still have photoreceptors in our skin. We, 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 there's still many other things that can affect this, but it's the most, uh, it's the easiest, most efficient way to do it. But I mean, generally reducing your artificial light in the evening, dimming the lights in the evening, things like this, are going to help as well. But this is the most important aspect. But, but, but guys, honestly, like, just if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, like, what is this, this about? It sounds weird. Yeah, I listen. I thought it was weird too, and especially you know some of the glasses out there. But guys, when you start doing it, the effects become so great. It's like it's it, it becomes you know like you know changing your socks. Like you change your socks every day, right? As in, and this just becomes one of those things. You're like it's just so the sleep that you get is so good. Um, it's it's wow. It's yeah. really special. And um, the well, I can give you the the more technical aspect is something called intrinsic photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Now, they connect to uh, a lot of the photoreceptors in the eye, but these particular ones, okay, so the retinal ganglion cells connect to a lot of the photoreceptors in the eye, but the intrinsic photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, they are particularly only in less than 1% of your eye. So it's only the central aspect of the eye you need to cover, yes? Mm. And they connect to all the main circadian oscillators. And not only that, they also connect to specific cells called amacrine cells. That, uh, that there again, there are many types of amacrine cells that connect to these things. But there's a the specific type that are dopaminogenic, which means they produce or they they use dopamine. So dopamine is a very important um, uh, a neurotransmitter for reward. It is also technically part of the stress hormone category because of the catecholamine. But um, dopamine itself. Is, is released when you get sunlight in the morning, which often helps that sleep and wake cycle as well. So, so just going into that, as, as in guys, like I, I told my mother about this. She's like, oh yeah, I did that with the hippies in, in Czech Republic when I was on, working on the farm. Uh, you want to talk about grounding, Christian? It's just because I know when I started doing it, it wow, it, it really changed things. As in, uh, uh, I felt so happy starting my day. I was in a really good state. Oh, well, the simple do thing. Wanna, do you want to like yeah. say, what is grounding? Well, Grounding is basically a simple concept of two semiconductive materials passing electrons between each other. Electrons are important for mitochondrial health, we'll just say that, and they're also important for ma maintaining free radical balance, because free radicals either give or take an electron by their action, yes, that's what, that's what their actions are. Um, so if you, if the, the Earth is always going to have more electrons in it than you do, because you're such a, uh, such a smaller object than the Earth. Okay, so the uh, like, like soil, grass, sand, these all these things are set, they they, they this class of semiconductive objects. So is the skin on your foot. Mm. So if there's a little bit of, of moisture between the two surfaces, they become conductive, and they will pass electrons from the greater source to the lesser source, which is you. So by standing barefoot with any sort of moisture in the ground, on say a, a natural surface, concrete is a very poor conductor, for instance, a very poor semiconductor, so you're much better on of proper earth, uh, like sand or, or soil or grass. 
they're much more effective. You'll actually start drawing up electrons into your feet. It is always best to do it away from things like power cables and things like that as well, because just as grounding suggests, you are grounded and therefore become a uh, conduit for other electromagnetic forces that can also cause issues. And, and what, what can like you know? What do you feel like when you grounded yourself? What's the what? Why does individual feel like that? Most most people actually just get a sense of relaxation. That's the biggest feeling that most most people describe. It's a sense of calm and relaxation because it's literally being anti-inflammatory. It's literally being having a parasympathetic stimulus on your body because you're increasing the electron count in the, in the system. I mean, so, there's some people that would say that acute inflammation is a condition of too many protons in the body, which is the opposite uh, uh, the opposite conduit to uh, an electron, as it were. So you've got proton with a positive charge, electron with a negative charge. And uh, chronic inflammation would be a lack of electrons. So people with chronic conditions, some people do consider that as just not having enough electrons in the system. And Christian, what is the relationship between that and getting some circadian rhythm? Because, you know, recently I worked with a client, and I still work with a client, who, um, who worked nights for many years. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that had implications on his thyroid and, and on his fat loss. So, what could you explain that as in, as in as in how as in how grounding can actually make you slim? Well, if you well again we come back to the metabolism problem. If we if you're grounding, you improve the parasympathetic state, you reduce the stress response, you improve the resources of the body. Then stress responses have positive adaptations. Your ability to handle stress goes up, which means that your overall capacity for higher metabolism increases which means you have better ability to be anabolic and grow and repair. Because while we want to be catabolic to lose fat, so catabolic means breaking down, anabolic means building up, just to clarify that for some people, uh, some people won't know. Um, if we, although we want to be catabolic to break down fat stores and become slimmer, we actually want to spend more time in anabolic phases to repair systems that are damaged due to excessive stress or excessive periods of excessive stress. Yes. So and the, the parasympathetic anabolic processes are a lot more important to stimulate than the catabolic processes. So you're just, you're just grounding that again. So yeah. par, par, parasympathetic, parasympathetic so, anabolic is, what, what, like is, what, is related to grounding. So grounding, grounding. Yeah. So grounding versus catabolic. Well, catabolic would be uh, anything that causes a stress response. Anything that causes uh, exercise is a catabolic. Exercise. Response. So guys, yeah. we're in this. Yeah. Isn't that the... But one of the, one of the things I particularly suggest is actually just going for a walk grounded. So if you get like I've got Clapham Common quite close to me, so going for a 20, 20 minute walk around Clapham Common in bare feet, massively stimulating because not only. Um, is grounding parasympathetic in nature, so is just going for a nice gentle walk. And on top of that, it increases blood flow, not only to the periphery of the body, but to the brain as well. So you're increasing blood flow all over to the most important areas, you're increasing parasympathetic activity, and you're increasing electron count in the body via grounding. So Christian, I, I know there's some people out there thinking, oh, these guys are, these guys are kooks, as in a, as a, I can lose weight, uh, just from walking in my garden and my grass, as in, you know, how did nobody think of that? As in, do, 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 do you want to, would you like to address that? Just because I know people's minds, it's just, what people, like, is in, can't believe that some of these things are so easy. 
Yeah. It's so easy. I, I, I talk about it. I say that there's stressors in the body. Once we get this system yeah. out of stress, the system is very efficient. But it, but it just all comes back down to uh, if, if people if people really are that skeptical about these things, just Google it. Just go and research it yourself. I mean, there's plenty of information out there that will give it to you. Now, it is hard to, to sift through some of the stuff if you don't understand, but you've just got to make sure that you, you spend enough time actually learning what the basic principles of these scientific concepts are. I mean, if you understand the basic the principles of physics, and then the basic you know, the basic actions of electrons and protons, understanding grounding isn't that difficult. Not to mention there are actually some good studies already out there, and plenty of books and other things that have been written about grounding that can educate you on these things very, very easily. So, so, so like, I don't like to point the fingers here, but yeah, do, do you think it's kind of like a cynical fitness weight loss industry that that takes us away from doing things like this i think it's just or, or, or people are just ignorant because <laughs> you know so I'm like occam's razor you know sometimes when it's the easiest solution that's probably what it is as I, in I, what, 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 what what do you think is i think it's closest it's closest to people being um closer to people being lazy and i don't mean the general public i mean the professionals i think professionals have got lazy and realize they can you do the simplest possible explanation that they can understand and then they talk about it with such confidence that it makes it seem like that's true and that's real. And it's become the person speaking the loudest is actually the person people think is right or true or listening to. And the perfect example of this is that we all now know that sugar is the proper enemy and the fats were the cause of all the obesity crisis okay but during the time where all this science was being done there was two scientists one that was being funded by the sugar companies and one that was just a, a, like a, a normal average scientist that was boring had no charisma and no one wanted to listen to and he, <laughs> he was he had all the evidence showing that what they were talking about was rubbish but no one wanted to listen to him because he wasn't shouting loud enough he wasn't charismatic enough he wasn't he wasn't confident enough. I find in fitness and nutrition today that that, that is what happens. It is about these personalities and you know inflammatory comments and and call outs and yeah. it's become quite something that I want nothing to do with because the people they get so hot under the collar. Yeah, it's not to do with it was not to do with and um, it seems particular to nutrition. Yeah, it's not to do with being right anymore. It's it's, it's now become a marketer's game. Mm. It's nothing more than the marketing game. Because the most successful people, uh, it's to do with how they're perceived by others. And that's all about marketing. So basically, marketing has become the key influential factor of what is right or wrong. How is it marketed? Do you believe in what is being marketed? It doesn't matter how much evidence you have of things half the time. Has it been marketed right? So many things don't go any further because they haven't been marketed right. And that even goes back down to uh, scientific papers. There's still... There was, there was there's, there's lots of lots of evidence of that in the scientific world, and you know, as in I'm as much as anyone. Pres I think presentation skills are important, and, and getting the message out there that is important because if people don't know about it, they can't profit. They can't take advantage of that. No, that, that that's it's a conundrum. But the thing is, you know, it still it, it, it still doesn't make it right. No, no, correct. Correct. But then we've got to rely on every single person having a good level of morality. And Christian, before we, we take a pause for section two, um, how do people 
work with you is and I, I know that you have a pain and movement clinic in London uh, what, 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 what are you doing with people these days? Uh, well you know, the, there's three things I specialize in really one being the coaching aspect so looking at people's stress markers um, things like blood glucose, body temperature and heart rate variability and then designing uh, bespoke daily uh, programs for them to action to improve their overall health then there's the therapy side of things, which is which I work with functional neurology. So mainly surgery prevention, because lots of people actually don't need surgery. You know, they have they have um, in uh, they have sort of uh, surgery to to open up the, the the arm or the elbow or the knee to see what's going on when they have no idea. There's nothing shows up on a scan. They have no reason why they're in pain, but they're still pain. So they either take huge amounts of drugs and painkillers, or they have a, a surgery that's not needed. These are sort of people I generally help the most because generally their pain is coming from uh, the sensory nervous system, which is uh, if, if there's too much, in, well, if there's, a, if there's a sensitivity in the sensory nervous system, for instance, we will move them away from that danger and towards a compensation. And if that compensation is not conducive for another part of the body, it will still deem that problem a higher, higher issue to avoid than the pain it's causing in another part of the body because of the hypersensitivity in that receptor. Now, I can go over that in a bit more detail, but... Well, and you know. after the break, I, yeah. I wanna, I, I definitely want to go into that, as yeah. in, um, just because, you know, guys, Christian is a, as a materialist, as in, you know, he, 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 Christian's the, the mayor of real town, as sure. in, uh, he, he wants to keep things real, and I want to hear your philosophy yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, and then the third thing I specialize in is photobiomodulation, which is a fancy word for saying shining the light on people. <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what's the... What? Well, it's the use of red and infrared light to stimulate uh, mitochondria. So just like I was saying... Is that the like end, a thing in the NFL? Um, well, they use it in all sorts of sporting, sporting teams in America, but um, the, the basic premise, again, is going back to mitochondria saying that the same protein we were speaking out of before that binds oxygen binds to and that nitric oxygen also binds to, yes, the red light will disassociate the nitric oxygen, so get rid of it, and allow oxygen to bind to that protein. This improves the mitochondrial capacity to 100% of its, its capacity and reduces the, the capacity of the mitochondria to generate the more damaging free radicals. So reducing do, reduces damaging free radicals and increases energy status to full capacity in the area that you're producing this light over. So it's very important for increasing healing speeds for muscle tears or wounds or burns or even protective responses. So increasing performance in exercise, it showed to improve performance in professional athletes by up to 50%. And also recovery times, we're, we're, we're loads got, of things. We've got some light doping now, guys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but, so basically, it's, it's, it's a huge thing. It's, 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 it's really, really powerful. I mean, I, I, I personally did it myself. I was like... Um, I, I, yeah, well, I, well, what did you... Because I know you were running your own uh, well, tests. When I, when you were I, doing some testing on it and, and so it just been some very interesting findings. Well, when I first got the, 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 the device, uh, I thought, let's see how good this thing really is. I mean, I've read all the tests and I was like, I was convinced about it. I was like, right, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to get it. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a 10 grand piece of kit, so it's not, not, it's not, not exactly a small decision to make. I was really knew, knew what, I was, what I was doing and I was getting it. But I was thinking, let's see how good this thing really is. So I, 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 knew, what, I, I, I knew what my 
bench press was at the moment, I was lifting about um, 90, I think 97.5 kilos was what I was lifting at the time. Um, so I thought, well, let's see how much more I could lift. So I was like, okay, so I did one minute uh, exposure to bicep, tricep, and both both pecs, both, both, both sides of the chest. So it took me six minutes in total. Yes. Then I went out into the gym and I performed the bench press. So I started at 95 kilos, no problem. 97.5 kilos, no problem. Uh, 100 kilos, no problem. 102.5 kilos, no problem. 105 kilos, no problem. So I increased, uh, and at 107.5, I started to struggle. And I was like, okay, so I increased my uh, one rep max by... 10% in six minutes. Yeah. By, <laughs> by, by 7.5 kilos with no problem, and 10 kilos with, with a slight, we're starting to struggle. And I was like, okay, this stuff really works. You know, and it's like, you know, there's... If that doesn't convince you when you when you experience something like that, then nothing will sort of thing. But I mean, that, that you know, this stuff really does work. God, he's Christian. He's ahead of the curve on a lot of these things. As as in, um, and now you see some of us uh, red glass goons going around, coming to a town near you. Uh, I got a lot of questions. I was at a wedding recently. Got a lot of questions about it, but I woke up bright and shiny. As in, everyone else was was hanging, and I felt really good. So stuff works. So we're gonna. Christian is a martial artist as well, and we're going to talk a little bit more about mindset in in part in, in the second half of today's show. So I'm just going to wrap it up for five minutes. All right, got all right, guys. Welcome back for part two. Um, we're here with Christian, and this this time we're going to be taking a little bit more down the the aspect of transformation philosophy. Um, as I said, you know, Christian is not just all you know a hard analytical machine. He's all a son artist, you know, with the martial arts, and he's been on since a very young age, and we want to want to dig into that. Um, so, so Christian, um, when did you start martial arts, and you know, what, what, what did it bring to the table, and how has that kind of affected how you've taken things forward? I started quite young, like um, probably about probably about six, seven years old, something around that, and. And I originally got into martial arts because it was just uh, another way to connect with my dad. Because uh, he, he was a Michelin star chef, but uh, he also trained with uh, a guy called Grandmaster Victor Khan, who who was also trained by Ip Man in the same class as Bruce Lee. So he had, oh, a, sure. he had a fair bit of uh, reputation. So my dad was training with him, and then after a certain point, he got too busy, couldn't do it anymore. But he'd, he'd always work these really long days, and on his days off, he was so tired that he would just lie on the couch watching these bad martial arts movies, you know, from <laughs> bad dubbing going on, everything. It was like, great, it's fun. So I just basically lie on the couch with him watching these movies, and that was, how, that was what the time I spent, a lot of time I spent with my father. So one day he said, Would you want to try it? So I said, Yes. So he took me to a class, and it was just another way of connecting with my dad. But I, I, I really quite liked it, and I. I like I like sports uh, a fair amount as a kid. I mean, I went from being a really thin, fit kid to being a very overweight, unfit kid, then to becoming quite fit again. There was a whole process there that went through. Uh, so I was on and off doing various sports and various different things uh, uh, throughout my life. And um, 
well, I guess that's really you know where the martial arts journey started. But I didn't really really commit to it until I found the right teacher for me. And I think that's one of the most important things. I think in fact, um, I don't know if uh, if you saw the remake of the Karate Kid with Jackie Chan. I don't believe I did. No, there was a really good um, quote in there from that. There was, there's no such thing as bad student, only bad teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, uh, well, that really, that really hit home with me. That really, like, um, uh, that really means something to me because I think the same thing. And it, uh, it's not even the fact that you have to have a bad teacher, it's just the wrong teacher for you. You know, the teacher and the student, there's a personal relationship there that has to fit well. If it doesn't, a big problem you're not going to learn you're never going to be your best not with that person doesn't matter how good they are doesn't matter how talented you are doesn't matter how hard you work you're not going to be your best because there's some there's something missing in that emotional connection you just don't get each other yeah? and that's an important aspect of a teacher-student relationship um so i mean I, I even actually went to train with grandmaster victor khan but we didn't get on very well but i was <laughs> I, I don't think he liked i don't think he liked kids very much because i was still quite young when i was doing that so but uh, uh, yeah, not, not till I was about 15, 16, where I really started to get into it and training on a regular basis. But uh, I, I was never a very good student at school, believe it or not. I was very much a CD student average, kept my head down, didn't, wanna, didn't like school at all. And during my last year, I was doing PEs, one of my GCSEs, and uh, I had an opportunity to do karate as one of the sports for my coursework. So they said, well, if you can provide us with evidence that you've achieved this level, this national level or something, it's like this, yeah, I think it was county level I had to achieve, we'll give you a 25 out of 25. I thought, easy, I'm just going to go and do that. <laughs> One of my sports, great. Um, so basically I'd get top marks or at one of the performance elements of the, of the, of the course. Um, so I went back into my own martial arts studio where I was training with um, someone called Sensei Dwyer, Evelyn, and he was the British coach for the kickbox, uh, for the British kickboxing team um, at the time, and he still works with Wacko, the main governing body as well. Um, and uh, I'd been training with him for a year, then I had a year off due to school work and school issues, and then I'd come back in. And this is like January two thousand five, and. Um, I came back. I came in and said, "Yeah, I, I, I want what I said. I, I want to do this and put the information in front of me." I said, "What would this level be?" And he goes, "Oh, that would be about a red belt." And at that point, I was only that first grade in his 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 his, his style and what was called Magendo. Um, and uh, he was like, mm, "Yeah, I don't think I do this." So you walk the train, come here, train as much as you like, but I, you know, I'm not going to give you the belt just because you want it. You know, you've got to, you've got to be ready for it. You've got to, you've got to earn it. And I, I don't, you know, it's not, it's not easy to, to go from where you are to where you need to be. So, you know, just don't get your hopes up. And it was like, I said, okay, fine. So that, that, that year I decided to, uh, I had till May to achieve uh, four, uh, three, three, an increase in three grades, basically, to become an intermediate standard of the, of the, of the martial art. And uh, 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 yeah, and what I needed to do. So um, I, I basically, if I didn't want to go to school in those days, because we had like study days and stuff, where it was just like, okay, you come to this class to study. I was like, well, I don't want to study that. I want to go study this. So I just I didn't go to school on some days and went to went to train for like six hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> so I 
I would get there. I would get there like you know lunch time. So, so, so Christian, but what was that moment where it's like, oh fuck, man, this is aligned, uh, and and you're just like six hours a day from being the CD student. What was that? What was that moment? Well, it was it was the thing. What part of it was? <coughs> of course, I can do it. What are you on about? You know, um, part of it was I'd much preferred that than I much preferred being studying anything else or being at school because you know being active was much more. Uh, much more enjoyable for me, much higher in my values. Well, on top of that, remember I said that, you know, exercising was a time where I actually felt more awake and sitting in school, oh. I, I still had mercury poisoning when I was in school for like 12 years old. I mean, no one knew about it. And so yeah, I was sitting we're we're going to come back to that, yeah. isn't it? Because guys, very interesting talk. I was, I was sitting in school and um, just falling asleep in my chair and there was people thinking, oh, you know, he doesn't care, he doesn't want to know, he's bored, whatever else. No, I just couldn't stay awake. Uh, one and two, my brain would work too fast. So, like for instance, you know, <coughs> in an English class, I go write this, write this thing down, or write the story, or answer this. And in my head, I'd finish the first page of writing, and my what I'd actually written in a book was less than a paragraph, and I'd forgotten what the second paragraph was. So I just stopped. You know, didn't want to do it because I was like, well, I don't want to have to think about it again. Because my brain was not in a space where I could think really well at what what I wasn't good at or what I, what I didn't enjoy doing and I had no reason to enjoy doing it because there was no inspiration, there was nothing there for me to do. So I didn't have the computational capacity to push myself or to figure out the, the, the solutions to those problems. I didn't have any way of finding that information at that point in time. I didn't have anyone around me that was smart enough to figure it out for me, but definitely not in the schooling system. And although my parents were incredibly supportive during many times in my life, um, they, they just, they, they, there's not things, yeah, not things that the average person is equipped to deal with. And, um, so basically. It's usually a point you hit on there is that, that you like doing is because it's something yeah. to do with the clients and guys, for everyone out there, the, the, the workout, the best workout for you is one that you like doing. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. The best workout for you is the one that you like doing. Yeah. And at that point I was overweight as well. I was like, uh, I'm sick of tired of being overweight. I enjoy doing. I enjoy doing this. Uh, I feel more awake doing this. So I'm just going to be here. I can't go up to go to school. I'm going to go here. I mean, I I was I was already at a stage in in the in the school schooling where most of the most of the work was done. I'd handed in all my coursework. I was now just studying for exams, and I didn't. Every time I sat down to study, I wasn't getting any cleverer. I wasn't getting any smarter because reading textbooks like this wasn't a way I was ever going to learn at that point. I just couldn't handle the amount of reading that needed to be done to improve whatever happened. And I didn't have any study resources and things like this, and there was no real help for people like me. I'm more so dyslexic. And although being dyslexic and being recognized as dyslexic, because I was one of the strongest students in the school, they basically revoked my ability to use the dyslexic facilities. So to get the help that other kids were getting, because those kids needed much more help than I did, and they seemed, I seemed fine. So basically, I was in this situation where I was being... Uh, fair, uh, neglected by the system, I had, I had struggled myself with improving my educational status, and I found this a much better use of my time, and much more enjoyable use of my time than doing whatever they wanted me to do in school. So there were reasons behind it. I know it sounds like I just did school and went to training, but it's not quite that simple. Well, it's it's that's what, you know that's what I'm getting people on here to just analyze what these things are because because what I see a lot of is which is when people get that alignment. Things just really pop off. They just they, 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 it really works for them. As in, as in as I, I'm working with someone, an ex world champion, 
he was, he was fed up with training, and, and the last time he he was doing, you know, things so well, he, it was when he was training twice a day, and he said, yeah. I, you know, he said he's he's not doing that anymore. It, it's in having these things when they're aligned, when you're getting these. It, it, guys, I, I use like as in, I love using analogies on these things, but but it's one thing. It, it's like a telescope, you know. And sometimes you just need to get some of the the lens in there. Sometimes you need to align them. Sometimes you need to to dust them off. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that thing is like I, even at that age, I was I was aware of what was a better use of my time than most people were aware of what I should be doing. You know, people were, oh, you should be doing what everyone else is doing. I was like, this isn't going to help me. I can see this isn't going to help me. You know, I can see what is going to help me. Being at school and studying in the library or with other kids wasn't helping. Me. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't do anything. What I did is I went and trained. Um, and then I would do some study at home by myself where I could concentrate. You know, I, I had much more effect doing things that way. So I had, a, I had a clear idea about what I was having more success with and I practiced those things. I did things my way because I was sick and tired of being told how I should be doing things by everyone else and not being able to do it that way. So I went and educated myself basically. It's kind of a lesson of focus as well, yeah. to, to double down on the things that we're good at. And, and, and commitment into your own, own uh, intuition and beliefs on things. But So I, I went into that and I ended up achieving a grade above what I needed to within four months instead of five months. Oh, shit. And then on the day I was meant to hand in uh, all the work, I'd actually gone to uh, a competition because they, uh, my sensei was like, oh, well, you know, you, you've watched the competition now, you've got to a good grade, do you want to come and try and actually compete? You know, you, you actually, are, you know, well done, you've got to this level, you know, do you want to do something about it? So, yeah, okay, so we went down to, uh, what's yeah, it, right. um, Sheffield, uh, to, there was a, a big competition there called Judgment Day. And uh, I, we, I got there, arrived, and I, I got there with my parents and stuff like and we didn't really know what we were doing, so we accidentally entered myself in the wrong category. Well, we entered two categories. And um, I, I entered myself into the adults category instead of the, the junior category, or like the teenage category. And uh, I ended up winning. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, the, the making of a championship, so Christian, like, you know, what guys, when Christian's uh, accolades is the fastest right leg in the world, no, it was the best right leg like, the the at the time, not the fastest. Oh, but okay. I, don't, I don't think they were measuring the speeds particularly. But so, uh, yeah, it was. I, I was considered to have the best right leg. Like, so, so, so did the did the right leg like, feature in this competition? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was I was I was uh, very well known for kicking people in the head and not and being very hard to hit. Uh, yeah, very evasive mover. So, but you know, I that that was really a start, and I was like, I'm good at something. I won. What? You know, it was a shock and surprise for me as it was to many other people. Well, but how did it affect your self-esteem? Because, like, you know, beforehand you're telling me that you weren't a very good student, you weren't very energetic, and, you know, you're told you're kind of behind in these things to seeing this, like, wait a second, I can do stuff. Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, that, it's, that's so important. You know, those, those victories are very important to people's confidence and self-esteem. You know, everyone has that capacity and that ability. I fully well believe that. But it's about making the journey and getting those victories along the way and seeing them and experiencing them and accepting them, even more importantly, to actually get to that point where you know that 
it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or does or says, you know that you can achieve anything if you put the work in. So, so guys, I, you know, I'd like to, I'd also like to talk about my own journey on that one. Um, I was, uh, you know, in life, I, you know, I was in, I had a high, despite having a high opinion of myself, I hadn't proved that much <laughs> at 17. Um, I, was a, I was a decent student, um, decent rower, but I wasn't the best. And, and you know, I didn't even make the, the lowest tier of the Irish international rowing teams. Um, but there was, you know, there were, there were some sour grapes. And, you know, I, I got the impression from some people that, that they're thinking, oh, he can't do it. You know, he, he, he can't do it. So, like Christian, I, I did my little six hours a day act, and uh, and I did it. And and guys, it's it's we talk a lot about you know, as in belief systems and, and the stories that you're telling yourself, because um, it's very important. These stories are very important. And Christian, you know, he implemented it. I can do anything. That's, he can do anything. I put the work in. And mine was like, I you know, I, I trained my butt off that year, and I went to world championships, and you know, we performed admirably. But from that day on, I had the, the belief that I can do anything I set my mind to. So in the, in the soundtrack of my life, that was, that was everything, you know? As in, um, and, and, and like, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, went to, it ended up being national awards for innovation. Um, but yeah, Christian, you know, so, 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 you know, working with clients, you know, how have you brought the, the, that knowledge of belief systems? And sorry to, to cut you off now, but it's just, it's, it's a very hot topic for me. Uh, everyone is very specifically unique in this subject. Um, one of the first things I get people to do is to cut the guilt. You know, and it's like like we said at the beginning, stop feeling guilty that you didn't make it to the gym that day. It's it's fully it's okay when you don't go to the gym or you don't go and do the exercise that day. It's okay if you're too tired to do something. It probably means you shouldn't have been doing it anyway. That's why I like to take objective markers so we can be more specific and say. Well, objectively speaking, you, it looks like this. And subjectively speaking, you feel like this. And we can put all that information together to make a better choice. And that often helps people get rid of so much of that guilt. Because they're like, I, uh, subjectively, I feel like crap. I don't want to exercise today. You look at your objective markers and you go, yeah, they're pretty stressed out. I better not work out today because that's going to cause a negative adaptation. And then straight away, you have your, your black and white reasoning of why you shouldn't be guilty. You know, in fact, by doing exercise, you're doing the wrong thing. You know, like Straight away, that cuts a lot of people's guilt out. And that's one of the first things. And when people start to actually gain the small little wins, if it's just dropping a couple kilos or a, little, or a couple centimeters off the waist, by doing less and being happier, suddenly they start to believe the world is right again. And it's that first step to actually making themselves believe in themselves again and then, and then what I often, often get people to do is, okay, you're doing a lot less now than you were doing before. So that means you have some extra time, right? Some people do, some people don't because it depends on food preparation and lots of other things and activities. And they say, do you have some extra time? If they do, then I often get them to go back to, just in a, in a light aspect, in a, in a casual aspect, go back to doing some form of hobby, something they enjoy doing or go and find one. Because going find something you enjoy doing that you can have some success in and get some wins out of is such an important part of life. You know, there's three aspects of physicality. Uh, and well, how, how do we go with this? Yeah, the, well, Christian, we just even talk about that, that, getting the wins. 
So like, I know you know it from that subjective place and the objective place, yeah. and, and, and that's why you know I have you on today because. What I want to talk about is the, the three aspects of movement where it's um, you have play, compete, and war. Yes? But in today's society, com competition has become war, and just doing the normal thing has become a, uh, has become a competition. And mm. we have all forgotten what play means. So, one of the most important things. One of the most important things to those people that feel like workouts have become a chore and they're stuck and they don't know what to do. I'm like, I don't care what you do. Go and do something you feel like doing. Basically, you get in the gym, you walk in, don't have any idea what you're going to do. You go, your first thing you feel like doing, that's what you do. You do it for as many reps as you want and then you stop. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do this now. And you go and do that. And you just spend a week going in the gym and rediscovering what was actually kind of fun to do. Oh, preach, and preach. That in itself is bringing the enjoyment back to physical movement, physical exercise, because if there is no enjoyment, again, it, you, you're losing all the time every time you do it. But if you're enjoying something, you're winning. And again, it's creating those small wins, those, those tiny little things that can help you out. And there are some people that are incredibly difficult to find that for, because it's like, no, I hate exercise. Everything, everything, about, every, <laughs> everything about physical movement is rubbish. I hate it. But that's often because that's what the psychological memory of them doing things they, ha they have. So you kind of got them to go, imagine that, you know, you had fun doing this, you know, what would it feel like? You know, you've got you to be a bit more creative with things like this. But because uh, there are those, those people and those people do really need like proper coaching and help. Uh, you know, they're not someone that could, they're not generally someone that's going to go and do it by themselves. I mean... Even those people, those, there might be some of those people that might even be listening. They might even listen to things like this, looking to try and find ways. And the best thing to do is find someone that has a good, uh, good level of knowledge to help them along the way, take shortcuts. Because when once you're in that pattern, and those pathways in the brain have been solidified and increased in their strength and connection based on the neuroplasticity rules, uh, the more you, the more you exercise a type of thought or action, the stronger the pathway gets, therefore the easier it fires, the faster it fires, and the more it shuts off other pathways that are counterintuitive to it, which is, I think, it's a lot of things where the, the long uh, chronic depression sort of comes in with this sort of thing as well. But if you are continuously practicing this same thought process and mindset, sometimes it really isn't possible to do one thing or to, to do it by yourself. You need to take a multi-level approach to it and you need help. I mean, and there's no, there's no problem with that. It's just the fact that that's the way it is. Because if your mind goes back to these negative aspects every time you start anything, then that's the thing you need to practice, and that's the thing you need to feel. And you need some gentle nudging and reminding that that's not the way it is, and that there is another way to look at it. But it's very hard to do that for yourself if you're in that state. And that's another thing that people who people have got to make clear is that sometimes you just can't do it by yourself, and you do need help. You know. And that doesn't mean that you're ill or sick or there's something wrong with you. It just means that there you're in a situation where you need reminding in in, in more in a more uh, more often than maybe someone else does, you know. And that's a natural state to get into. It's not it's a deep disease state, and it doesn't mean that you're crazy or you need to go to a mental hospital. It just means that's the state you're in. It's that simple. And it's funny because you know when I came to you, you know. 
there is a thing about it. It's like, it's like oh, I'm a coach. I should know to do this for myself. Da, da, da. But sometimes, you know, you fall out of it. And yeah. then, um, you unlearn certain things and, and you're not proficient. And then you, and then you go into a place where it's a fear of failure. That if you go back as, you know, I'm going to fail. And then, and then it's wired that way. And, yeah. and, and, and that's what I see mostly with, with my, with the people I work with, because intellectually they know what it is to yeah. do. What is in you know, as, as I'm putting it, you know, in the black box, things are a bit gummed up. Yeah, and uh, it's about unlocking that, and and, and uh, yeah, as it, in, it's also how people make decisions. I mean, um, teaching kids, for instance, you, you see a lot of this stuff in the most basic, raw form when you're teaching kids. Because because I, I know I know in your course you teach um, learning styles. Yeah, well, uh, that that that's a bit of a tricky subject because I, it, it's called learning styles. But the first thing, the first slide is there's no such thing as learning styles. Right, right, <laughs> Christian, there you go. It goes back to it depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, there's no such thing as learning styles because learning the, the idea of learning styles insinuates that you learn better through one style than another, yeah. which is uh, a bit of a misnomer because you may be more comfortable learning in one style than another. But if we get you to learn only in that style. And we and then we get you one subject, or if we could do a study, for instance, and we had uh, 100 people who were all auditory learners, and in 50 of them we made them all listen, all learn only in an auditory manner, and in the other 50 we made them all learn only in a visual and kinesthetic manner. The second group, learning in the non-preferable learning styles, would get better results because they were using two variants of learning styles rather than the one. And better again if we got another 50 to do three learning styles, all three, or there's atypically three learning styles for most people and then there's arguably more changing all these other things. But let's just stick with the most simple aspect most people understand as being visual, auditory and kinesthetic. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you will always lose out in terms of learning potential if you do not use all three learning styles at all times. That is fact. <clears throat> that is unchangeable. So, but what I was saying with the kids, something you see in very raw form is like the naughty kids, right? You know, and they come into they come into class and they push their boundaries and you warn them, you tell them off, blah blah blah. No matter how much you tell them off, they're still always going to be naughty until you take away something that they want. Okay? You've got to teach kids consequence to action and your brain is very much in the same way okay the second you get the kid to sit out and watch everyone else doing everything he wants to then pay attention and learn because he doesn't want to sit on the side he wanted he came into the class for a reason it's not such the same for school teachers because kids are forced to go but for, for kids that are joining into something they want to do you can do this and the same thing for the brain you know uh, but how can you do that to your own brain? If your brain is stuck in a pattern of behaving in a certain way, yes, how can you, your own brain, discipline your own brain by making it sit out, making it watch, and taking away something it actually wants? So you're saying you need an external... Sometimes you need an external source of authority to condition or recondition the brain to behave itself in the aspect of the thing it wants. So the kid wants to join in, the kid wants to learn, but he has a pattern of misbehaving built into him via not getting enough attention outside, for instance, maybe, or at home. He comes in, he's trying to behave, but he's spinning around, he's jumping up and down, he's poking people, and he can't help himself. So, so 
essentially we need to intervene in the neural pathway and, and disrupt disrupt uh, the pattern, disrupt the, the unhelpful pattern. It's called pattern disrupting. I mean, you see people do it, people do it in conversations all the time, naturally. And you know there's people that always interject or cut in or change a subject when it gets to something they don't want to talk about. This is uh, this atypical pattern inter well, pattern disruption or pattern interrupting. <clears throat> and when people are doing this subconsciously, you can see their brain and the patterns their brain are developing and, and the pathways they're using to create a narrative in their head, to create their own self-sense of identity. And when you challenge that self-sense of identity, their brain does everything it can to move you away from that challenge because that challenge to the brain is a threat. And everything that our brain does comes down to this one fact, keep you alive move you away from danger and towards safety, away from the threat and towards the compensation. So what are your compensations and what are your threats? Once you can ascertain those things, you can ascertain the patterns you're developing to manipulate yourself into those positions. So, so guys, it's just to give a bit of context here, Christian would be one of the top two in Europe in a discipline called the PDTR. And um, it's a very advanced system of... Um, pain relief and uh, I, I get it's just, just to kind of to ground it for you um, a lot of times we have injuries and we think it's a hardware problem oh I done my knee is in my back is sore as I put my back out but in fact it's it's a software problem and uh, and it can really alter your behaviors it can it, it can they, 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 what we're finding is a lot there's a lot more to it than we thought as in because at the at the outset I used to go always in, um, instead of going to physiotherapy, because I found it much more effective, faster, cost-effective, um, because it worked. Uh, but Christian is finding, he's, you know, he's a crazy experimenter, and he's been finding inroads into how it affects our emotions. Do you, do you want to you talk about some of your findings on that? Uh, yeah, okay, I wouldn't call it crazy experiments, but you have to scare some people off. No, I mean, it's crazy innovative. Yeah, it's, as in, it, it's, it's like, I don't know how he thinks of these stuff. Like, that, that's why I think it's great, because I, I, I don't know where he gets it from. Uh, the thing is, uh, it's great, great inspiration from other very smart people. You know, uh, I'll take the information for the, someone that has come up with theoretically or practically in somewhere else, and and integrate that into my thinking and my knowledge that I've taken from many other people. I mean, realistically, we were saying, oh, you're creating all this stuff. It's like, well, at one point, at some point I am. I am creating this thing. I am having individual and unique ideas. But at all points, I'm building all those ideas off what I've learned and what I've been given from many other people. There are too many people to name that deserve credit for my knowledge. And that is the same with everyone. You know, no one really, no one can go through life without without giving credit to Artists. many people before them. It You're still, humble, yeah. It's in like, who made the paper you wrote on? Who made the laptop? Who made the plug for the laptop? Yeah, is in apps. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, but um, with uh, we're not, it's just we're not yeah. self-made men yeah. and women out there. Yeah, with with the with the idea of um, sort of neurological function and emotions. I mean, let's start from understanding sensory nervous system first before we go into central nervous system of, um, and, and brain and emotional thoughts. Uh, every neuron fires at a certain level, so it'll have a basal state or a base resting potential state 
and when the electrical potential rises above a certain threshold, that's called an action potential, or the firing threshold of that, uh, of that neuron, and then, uh, then it will send an electrical signal to create an action. But just to zoom out, sensory system, it's the nerves around the body that give stimuli back to yeah, the, the, so the center. So it's like, it's like it's you're able to feel your so hands, if we, you if know, if surfaces, etc. If we think about it in a, a simple context of sensory nervous system feeds information to the central nervous system, which integrates the information and puts output process through the motor nervous system to create an action. So it's sensory input, central integration, motor output. That's the most simple way to look at the nervous system. Now, if we look at all neurons, that's what I explained before with the action potential. That is what, what creates every neuron to send its electrical information and then create the response in the next part of the nervous system. Now, that response in the nervous system can be either increased or decreased, okay, by changing of the resting potential of the neuron. So if the resting potential moves closer towards the firing threshold or further away, it can then become more or less sensitive. So we're looking at the sensitivity of the firing of the neurons or of the nervous system. Now, if we take that and say that you had a hypersensitivity in um, a pressure response in your shoulder, your posture is going to change to reduce the pressure in that shoulder, in that vector, in that direction, which means that this sensory nervous system and the hypersensitivity in the pressure receptor in the shoulder is directly causing the change in your posture, not your desk, not your sitting position, not the fact that you drive all day. It's the sensory nervous system, the interpretation of your environment. So, so <coughs> Christian, just like, you know, for the layperson's street, so that's why, like, when people think, oh, I've done my back lift in that box, that was just the final yeah. stimulus on top, and it wasn't the box at all. It was X, Y, Z, you know, leading up yeah, to it. Something else caused an inhibition or a lack of ability to facilitate the muscle that should have been working at that time. So it's, it's never really, <coughs> yeah, the, the, the sore back, that's just the final yeah. part of the chain. It's not the... Yeah, often what you feel is the, is the thing that's been saving you the entire time. You know, the thing that's been doing the work, not the thing that's broken. Not a thing that's yeah, so, so great, very important. The, the, the thing that's broken is the thing that's been saving you. Mm. That's the hero of the story, realistically. And then when, when that breaks, then something else will have to take over, something else will take over. That's why you get multiple secondary tertiary injuries from an original problem. But we digress. Now, if we look at this, uh, the emotional nervous system as well, we can also have hypersensitivities in certain aspects of accessing or processing various information too. So, for instance, um, if we have hypersensitivity to feeling guilty or to being in conflict or uh, grief, <clears throat> worry, anxiety, any of these things, our body is going to try to avoid feeling like that in any way, shape, or, or it can. It doesn't, so, and sometimes those emotional reactions can also be our compensations. So that means our body might be seeking out to feel like that as a compensation to a hypersensitivity in the body. So we can have neurological hypersensitivities that are either driving us away from or towards specific emotional reactions. And and can you like just just to ground that like what what, what are some of the things that you've seen? 
it, 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 like just because because I I know because I've I've done the, the work with you, and um, you I know think, is I, in, can, think, can you ground it for I think it? one of the most amazing emotional conversations like someone seeking emotional reaction from was they broke I think it was their big toe their right big toe they broke the right big toe when they were like in their twenties now they were in their like late late thirties and um, this broken big toe was actually related to emotional eating. They were literally guilt eating constantly. They couldn't stop. Second, we solved the neurological issue from the broken big toe in the past. They stopped guilt eating almost overnight. That's incredible. I guess just you know one of the treatments I do with Christian was like as in I was cycling and there's crazy sharp pain in my foot, but but you know I cycle many hours a day. But it was just the way there was a a ten a Golgi tendon. Uh, well, yeah. So basically, it was a, a, we dumb it, not dumb it down, but we simplify it to something that's very easy to understand. It was a pressure or a stretch receptor <coughs> in either uh, most likely in the lig on a specific ligament in the foot that ended up causing um, pain in the foot and the knee uh, when you were put, when you were cycling because you were literally pressing on that ligament, which was causing inhibition in the muscles. In your quadricep, so the pressure of the pedal against the ligament was causing the, the quadricep not to do the job properly, and therefore it unstabilizing the knee, and causing the brain to send pain messages to the foot. And on my cycle to Paris, guys, I wish I'd known that. As in, uh, <laughs> it was a crazy pain. And Christian, in an afternoon, got rid of it, which is which I thought was crazy. Yeah, but well, sorry, yeah, back back to the yeah. emotional stuff because that's 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 really fascinating, isn't? So are you saying that like you can kind of get get absorb some of these um, emotional patterns that the people in have setting out in specific situations? Yes, I mean it's not exactly like that. That's the be all and end all, and it's the the miracle cure for all depression and other mental health illnesses. Not at all, but there can be neurological drivers that are causing these things. I mean, you uh, I, again, as I said before, I'm not going to claim. That that is the answer to everything ever for any any treatment. There is no one treatment or no one thing that is ever going to be a hundred percent the answer for everything. Not in any single person's life. Uh, but but I've just seen it. Just like things like you know how if you're intolerant of gluten, it can trigger huge anxiety yeah. and depression. So as in you know yeah. equally there are things within the body which can trigger other on. Welcome emotions. Uh, the, the, the amount of neurons in the gut is, in, is more than the amount of neurons in the spine. Wow. That so, bad. that's, that's interesting. if you think about the neurotransmitters produced due to action in the gastrointestinal system, of course, that makes a huge effect on your mood and your thinking, your ability, and your psychology. Now, microbiome, the bacterial gut, also very important for that. And something people don't realize is there's a direct communication between the gut and the brain, and there's also a bunch of microbiome sitting in your brain. Your brain is not a sterile environment that we once thought. It actually has bacteria. No way. Yeah. And there's a big connection between that. Guys, um, so, so, so with my business, what I, what I do, and, and Christian and I, you know, we, we do the same things, but, but we come from different aspects. Um, I, I help someone see the situation that they're in. Um, I take steps to, you know, get them to see a new perspective that it is easy to fix it when you know what you're doing. 
And finally, the, the cure is, you know, by, you know, removing stressors on internal systems and also adjusting habits. And, and, and with that, people lose all the weight they want and, and they actually love exercise again and they love, they, they love eating right. But, but one of the things, what, what triggered is, so my partner in the business, uh, she, she had gut issues as in there, there was a, it's a guys, it's what's known as a leaky gut. And you know, it's, it's also my partner. And what, what happened was for three years, the energy was ebbing away, ebbing, ebbing, ebbing away. And, and, um, and the, the critical moment was she was like, oh, I need to leave my job. I need to, I need to become part-time. I, I can't do this. And, and not only was, was it a, a stress on, on just her daily living, because, you know, with the leaky gut, what that simply put means is there was perforations in the gut lining and the nutrients fell out. So she wasn't absorbing the nutrients uh, on a oh, very simple, yeah. on a very simple way. Christian will tell you exactly. There's also the immune responses that go and, with that. And well. and they, and, well, yeah. and, that, and Christian will, will tap into that in a minute. But but what happened was it's it's very insidious, as in and, and you know as in, from what I understand it, it happened over a period of several years, and the implications that this can have in your relationship, isn't because you know there's someone who's like oh, I can't get out of bed. I'm like Jesus. What's wrong with you? Is in you're not the person I I chose. You're not as in what's you never want to do anything anymore. You eat some food and then you lie down all day. Uh, you're watching Netflix constantly because these are all ramifications of the interaction between the immune system and uh, and, and just attacking the body and, and it can it can really change someone's personality and 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 can put a lot of strain. And I bet it's broken up many marriages. Um, you know, it's lost people their job, and um, I see a lot of people going around with this. And and Christian himself, he had mercury poisoning. Yeah. As in, you know, would, oh, would we, you would you care to talk about some of these? Like, and not mercury poisoning specifically, but but these things that are going on in people's bodies, which are very insidious. And um, your general practitioner, they won't know about this yeah. stuff. As in, it's it, and it's really, really insidious, and and it's something that 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 I'm working to put help. Ex, you know, get the expand the knowledge on this, and Christians doing the same. So you know, well, you know, the, my problem was we, we we presume it's heavy metals, but also we presume it's mercury. But I mean, it could have been any heavy metal realistically. But mercury was one of the ones involved in the excretion process or the excretion lab results that we got. And uh, but but with Zoom and L, well, what was the issues that you were experiencing? Okay, massive lethargy. Um, anemic symptoms were a huge part of it. You know, just like they're almost borderline narcoleptic, um, depression, bouts of depression, definitely aspects of that. Um, temper, anger issues, uh, you know, mood, like mood swings, that sort of stuff. Um, weight, weight issue problems, uh, massive, massive brain fog, not able to concentrate. I couldn't read more than the page of writing without wanting to fall asleep. It was terrible. I mean, you can imagine now I'm, I'm reading... <laughs> 20 hours a week, yeah. maybe? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but... Between reading and writing, uh, it's 30, 40 hours a week that I put into it these days. I only work about 10, 15 hours a week with clients so I can spend that much time researching and looking into new things to better my knowledge to help people in a, a more expedient manner. But um, these symptoms are just like the most horrible thing to have together because you constantly feel like you're on the verge of just not being here anymore or not wanting to be anymore. It's like, 
the, 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 I think there's a phrase in a few songs, I think it might be a biblical phrase uh, that they've taken it from, but it was, um, uh, death is easy, life is hard, right? <laughs> and it was like, and then nothing meant, like nothing seemed to resonate more with me at that point than that. It was like, yeah, I don't really don't care if I die because this, this shit is way too hard. You know, and it was like everything you did was a huge, huge task. And it's easy to see when you've been through that, why, where people's minds go and how you can really deteriorate into that point. And when you've got low energy and you and everything you do is like an uphill battle, the smallest possible thing, just getting out of bed and it destroys you. And when you are like that, Death is easy. Life is hard. And that is something that, that goes through your mind. And I'm, one of the things is it's because it's, it's so unknown at the moment, you can be gaslit by other people. Like, I know I do. It's like, hey, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you exercising? You know, and how exercise can actually make it worse. Yeah. As in, um, you know, because I, as in, with, with my knowledge, as in, I, I can mostly steer anyone on the right path if they want physical, spiritual, mental wellness. As in, because, you know, that's what I've immersed myself in. But, even I was like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't find a solution for this. It took, it took so long, and, and now you see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. could, yeah. what, what do you think about that, Christian? Well, yeah, it's a great thing that mental health is now being uh, being aware destigmatized. Yeah, and destigmatized. Yes, it's a good way of putting it. <clears throat> but I mean, still, even with the amount of work going into it, and that awareness that's going into it, it's still not. It's still going to be a while before we really get to a space where it's not going to be a big problem anymore. I mean, there's still this whole thing of, you know, we, when we hear about someone that commits suicide that, was, that looked apparently happy from the outside, it's all still this conversation of well, how selfish or, you know, uh, didn't they think about the people they were leaving behind or, you know, all, the other, all, all these other sort of comments. And it's like, these comments, while completely fair, at the same time, they're not fair at all because once you are in that position where you've been through that and you know what that feels like and you know what it, what it feels like to almost feel like it's just too hard to carry on anymore, you know, it's too much going on. No, no matter how many good days you have, it's that bad day where you go, I just can't do another one of these and you feel like that. It's not about whether you think that people are going to miss you or whether you think that it's, it's selfish or not. It's the fact that you just physically can't keep going. It's like you, like, like asking someone to run a marathon forever and say, well, why did you quit? All these people are you know, counting on you. But you, you, it's an infinite marathon. You never finish. You know, so until you get yourself out of that state and into a good place, energy levels, or that you are having the right proper help, if there's just those people that are having those problems that no one knows about, no one's talking about, it is like running in a marathon that never ends. And you wonder why people give up sometimes. It, guys, it's some dark imagery, but um, yeah, it, it, the gravity of this problem is in, is in you know, and, and I think there's going to be a huge shift coming around about this because it, it, the word's getting out there. Yeah. The word's it, getting out yeah, there. It's, it's, and and, and you know, like, you know, people are like, they, what are they called? Something, IBS, was it? IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, irritable bowel syndrome is used as this catch-all to say, oh, your, your, your guts are screwed. Yeah. But, but, but the guts, there's so much to it. And, and, and I, we're only now beginning to become more widely appreciated. And, and 
and I can I feel compassion for people like it's because London is a great center for this like you know London New York it's like this is where you go to to know about these things and um, people in the world as in even in London were just at the tip of this we're at the tip of the spear on this stuff it's people don't know about it mm, yeah it is is not there's no it's still nowhere near enough information but we're definitely on the right track with that with that topic of conversation that's up in the media right now it's getting great publicity um <clears throat> people are saying great things about it but yeah it is it's, it's still a little bit of a way to go with that for sure Yeah, no, geez, that's that's no, guys, it's it's a really it's a it's a huge topic, and and you know, I I really, I say you know, look look it up for yourself, look it up for yourself, and just as in, I, I was at a wedding last week, uh, one of you know, like one of the guests at the wedding, he was saying it, and he, he couldn't believe it because um, he just, you know, when that someone was speaking this language, and you know, he's from a huge metropolitan city, five million plus people. He, no one he'd been in contact with and and in his family or you know as in his, his spouse in-laws they're all working in the medical profession mm. and they had no idea they had no idea mm. and um it's, it's it's tough it's tough because what, what can happen from these things is there's a lot of guilt and shame that that are generated from this because you're like I, i'm so, so you know a lot of people they, you know as in, they don't know the difference between guilt and shame you know guilt is I've done something wrong and, and shame is I'm bad mm. and um, or you know us I've done something bad is in shame is I am bad and a lot of people they get it caught in this circle and, yeah. and, and what can happen is that tr triggers more stress in your body and mm -hmm. the more stress it gets worse mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so it's a very vicious circle you know so we talk about vicious circle this is a very vicious well, circle. If we go back to that point about the gut um, Okay, so stress, stress chemicals, stress molecules, hormones that are produced by a heightened level of detrimental emotions um, or any form of stress, they also cause increased permeability in the gut. That's one of the jobs and one of the roles they actually have in the body to increase the permeability of the gut. So therefore, excessive stress not only degrades the gut's ability to repair itself, but it also increases the permeability of that and then you get like you said undigested food particles being uh, not not being or food particles not being digested well enough to be used in the body first off second off undigested proteins entering the bloodstream and when a protein enters the bloodstream that is uh, not of the body's making it doesn't have a self identifying uh, antigen on there so basically notify the body and the, and the immune system that it's part of the body it's an attacks like a pathogen so anything that the immune system attacks is generally considered an antigen okay so these proteins are, are classed as pathologic antigens like bacteria or something for a foreign substance that shouldn't be there and realistically it's just a bit of broccoli or a bit of chicken and then people start generating food intolerances to various foods because their bodies remember these antigens this is how the how the um what part of the immune system works it has memory cells that remember previous attacks and then it creates these antibodies against these things really really efficiently so what happens if you get a gluten intolerance and the gluten protein is very similar to uh the proteins that make up your thyroid 
Well, autoimmune conditions. They're very easy to, to consider how you get, to get a thyroid autoimmune condition from something like that. But I mean, while that's not the exactly how it always works and everything else, it's still very easy to see how leaky gut, for instance, can be massively detrimental to not only uh, physical health, but emotional health, and how that, that itself can be, and, uh, and, and the detriment in physical or emotional health can then cause further exacerbation of the stress, which can cause a further exacerbation of the original problem, if the problem is originating in the gut. And then the gut can be very hard to solve, if that is the case, because you get bacterial dysbiosis, so bacteria, bad bacteria growing in too high levels, causing too many of problems, then it becomes very hard for the good bacteria to recolonize, you know, causes more inflammation, more leaky gut, more problems, more, uh, more lack of nutrients, it just becomes a revolving conveyor belt of issues. So gastrointestinal health is an extremely important aspect to look after before we look after anything else in many, many circumstances. And guys, you know, as in, I, I talk about this a lot. As in, uh, this is what I mean when I say the system is gummed up. And it's more widespread than you think. It's mm -hmm. more widespread than you think. As in, uh, and Christian, what are some of the stressors that that are generating these issues. Well, let's just let's just say, for instance, uh, well, stresses that these stresses can be anything, right? They can be the, the fight, the fight, uh, fight at home, a fight at the office. It could be an, an exercise routine. It could be uh, financial worries, social worries. You know, any of these things it can be emotion, physical. It can be chemicals like too much bleach in your house or something else. It can be chemical sensitivity, maybe not so much bleach, but you have a sensitivity to it. Um, it could be makeup, it could be perfumes. I mean, a lot of people, I, feel, I find people who have, who spray a lot of perfume and deodorant on themselves all the time, every day, they have um, a, a, adrenal problems normally. Really? Because they're using these chemicals to create a stress response to boost them up and make them more awake. Really? The chemicals are actually causing a micro stress response all the time. And those micro stress responses are causing a heightened sympathetic system, which is causing them to be more awake and more alert due to their inability to create the proper and efficient energy, uh, energy regulation through the proper channels, such as the adrenal and thyroid gland. When they start to um, reduce in efficiency, making yourself hypertonic by. Uh, uh, so basically, hyper-facilitated synthetic drive by using chemicals is a very, very effective way of doing it. Such as also just, feeding some so sugars. Just as in, um, for those that you know, for you know, what's hypertonic? Oh, a hypertonic basically means hyper-facilitated. If we put it that way, so in in inhibition. No, no, put it that way. That doesn't. Yeah. Help. That won't help. <laughs> I know what it is, but I don't even know what that means. <laughs> an inability for inhibition to occur in a, in an action. So, um, if we think about hypertonic, so like being a muscle doesn't work. Excessive excessively active excessively active so if a muscle was hypertonic it would have it would have a lack of ability to inhibit properly and every muscle needs to be able to <laughs> inhibit is so for instance when we walk 50% of our body needs to be facilitated 50% needs to be inhibited because we have that cross pattern when we walk that's a natural pattern that helps our body move and helps it helps a lot of helps Blood flow helps organ, uh, organ. Well, it function. kind of maintains balance. Yeah, it helps maintain balance. Like homeostasis. Loads of things. So hyperfacilitation or hypertonicity or hyperactivity of anything is detrimental. Yes, we want 
And can, can you give me, like, just can ground that, or what, what does that mean? Well, so if you have hyperfacilitation of your sympathetic nervous system, you have high stress response, an overactive stress response. And, and how does that manifest? So that will manifest again in, okay, so if you have a hyperactive stress response, then just eating food can become a stressful interaction for your body. Because in, <coughs> and this is another thing that the Christian is, you know, as, in, he's a, as I said, the tip of the spear in, um, in terms of his PDTR. A lot of people don't know about this stuff, that people can just get, just get stressed out yeah. from well, eating food. Let's just say... It isn't certain foods. Yeah, well, no, no, any food. Any food. Any foods. And or no, foods. certain food for them. Yeah. Not all food. <laughs> well, no, even that, there yeah. is a certain point you can get to where any food will be a stress for your system. And that, that's when fasting really does become a very powerful tool. I mean, especially in those situations. But let's just say you have a heightened sympathetic stress response. <clears throat> that means you won't be able to create as much hydrochloric acid, stomach acid. That means you won't be able to release as much intrinsic factor to to absorb B vitamins properly, which means you won't release enough pepsin, which is basically the uh, the enzyme that breaks down proteins in your stomach, which means the mechanical and chemical breakdown in the stomach will be poor, which means the well, your stomach won't be acidic enough, which means you won't release bicarbonate or bile properly in the digestive tract, which is very important, which means you won't release enough pancreatic enzymes in the, in the intestines to break down for, for food further, which means you get proper large amounts of fermentation of food which means you get bacterial dysbiosis in the upper gastric tract yeah you get massive gas it means you get um, inflammation in the intestinal tract means you get leaky gut you can see how all these things flow through and also for instance um, uh, we can talk about uh, acid reflux well the sphincter the the muscle that shuts the stomach at the top of the stomach uh, next to the esophagus that is acidic is a pH regulated uh, muscle. So acidic uh, uh, pH will cause it to shut, whereas a more alkaline pH will cause it to open. So basically, it's the lack of acidity in your stomach that is causing acid reflux. Acid reflux. Because even if something, you know, you got to think, the, the stomach has a lot of protection from the acid, right? But the acid needs to get down to like very close to one, you know? To actually be acidic enough for it to do its job properly. Really? Yeah, it's, it's like well, it's, it's like within like one to three. So even if you think it's up at like four or five, can't do its job anywhere near. But that's still two points below the neutral. That's still going to cause a fair bit of burn up in that esophagus. Mm. Now it's still quite acidic. So you can start to see how just not being acidic enough in the stomach can actually be a problem. And uh, with a lot of people I work with and Christian work with. Prescribe, uh, not prescribed, as in we, we advise you take uh, hydrochloric acid uh, supplements. Yeah, definitely to, is a, to, 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 to digest your food. Definitely is a short term. Definitely is a short term response. It's something I don't like to get people on a long term thing for, and uh, I, I and I give people some guidelines about how to use these things as well. But I mean that and glycine is probably one of the most powerful supplements for improving stomach health, parietal cell health in the stomach. So guys, you're hearing here, well, what do we got? Hydrochloric acid for short-term use yeah. and glycine. Yeah, Gly glycine, zinc, and theanine. So theanine's in green tea, but it's also another amino acid, like glycine's amino acid. Um, these three, these three um, nutrients, these three, these two things, uh, supplements, can be very, very beneficial in improving 
the, the ability to produce stomach acid via the parietal cells in the stomach, which has a massive down, downstream cascade of improving hormonal release and gastrointestinal function. Um, and guys, you know, people people rail against supplements, but as you know, when used correctly, they're they're very very potent. Yeah, I mean, it, they're they're very very potent. It is. However, it is difficult to use them uh, effectively. Like a friend of mine, Rehan Jalali, he um, he does Ben Affleck, uh, Sylvester Stallone. He does all you know. Everyone in Hollywood goes to Rehan, but but what when I when I hung out with Rehan and the way he told me about how supplements work, I, I gave up. I just said I'm gonna eat healthy and I, I'm gonna do my best there because it can be so challenging to do it correctly. Mm -hmm. very, would, you, would, you, would you mind speaking about yeah, that? Yeah, there's, there's very few supplements that I would recommend everyone takes, but some of the ones that I mean truly are beneficial to pretty much everyone will be glycine, magnesium, vitamin C. They're the things I think that you know pretty much everyone will be struggling to get enough in. And the supplement did you? Ester C though, right? As in a uh, yeah, I mean there's better form of vitamin C than so, so guys, there you go. There's even even the form of vitamin C that, it matters. Is it, it it's it, this is what this is why you know you kinda need a bit of you need a bit of help on this. There's still many things we don't know. So natural forms of vitamin C are probably a safer bet, but it seems to be no change in chemical absorption from um, uh, at least absorption rates of synthetic vitamin Cs. But um, there's many other cofactors and stuff that can be beneficial to add with that and improve other things in the body, but it doesn't really change the vitamin C absorption itself. What's more important to understand is if you take too much vitamin C without eat food, you will almost feel seasick. It, is, it will kill, cause stomach upset. But uh, you're, also, <coughs> you're also running to the bathroom too, right? Uh, potentially, not not exactly. Oh, that you, uh, you, you, yeah, magnesium yeah, that sorry, So too much magnesium at once or too much vitamin C at once is not a good idea. And, but generally speaking, if we look at glycine, um, your body will naturally create about three grams of glycine a day. It's not an essential amino acid. It's a non-essential amino acid, but it's uh, what we call as conditionally essential because your body will probably need up to like seven to 10 grams per day. I generally advise that people, uh, people look at taking, uh, look at getting as much glycine as one gram per kilo, per ten kilos of body weight. Um, so basically, yeah, one, one gram for every every ten kilos of body weight uh, uh, for bespoke sort of levels for that person. That should be a fairly safe level for everyone to take without causing any problems. Christian, I, I'm I'm aware of the clock because you know it was it was nearly two hours as yeah. And just what I'd like to to kind of to wrap up on. Um, if you could we talk about this for a little bit when we started working together uh, we did cold adaptation yeah and um, and within a matter of six weeks I lost like I looked really great uh, because you, you do you want to explain to guys um, how that works what, and and, yeah. and and if you know if, if you're if you're you know like like to, like to try things why it's worth trying um, it's it's a very interesting uh, very interesting therapy uh, to use, and it's basically just putting yourself in cold under uh, cold stimulus, so cold showers or cold baths, and uh, for for a prolonged period of time, and uh, that will cause changes in blood flow, changes 
in both the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system that balance each other out and create fat loss particularly because you increase the use of uh, electrons to create heat rather than ATP in those particular cells. You change the number of fat, uh, type of fat cells as well. There's two types of fat cells, white and brown fat cells. And by using cold therapy, you can convert more white fat cells into brown fat cells. And the difference between the two is one is created, one, one creates heat in more readily, and the other one is more of an energy storage center. So if you want to reduce the energy stores of fat and, and, you, and turn more of those fat cells into um, heat producing centers, that actually use the fat more regularly, um, then cold thermogenesis, which is what the official name is, is very effective at doing that. Um, it can be used very, very well in certain scenarios. Like for you, it was very, it was very effective and very important. But it is not for everyone all the time. I mean, we've come really? to we've come to really see that now, and more of the research has come out. Um, it is at, at, at the level that most people will do it it is always generally going to be beneficial. But at extreme levels, for some people, it will be really detrimental and other people will be really positive. So it's about understanding that balance. I mean, it's going to be... So, so guys, just to, to put this in, in, a, in context, at, at the very beginning, it was, you know, have a, get cold water in the bath and, and sit in that for five minutes. Yeah. And, and the first 90 seconds, I, I wanted to punch Christian in the face. I, I really did. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I kept with it and the results were fantastic but in a matter of weeks as in i was so adapted to it that i got in a bath full of 10 kilograms of melted ice and stayed there for 20 minutes um, listen i was a little bit cold afterwards but i mean the things that you can you can adapt really quickly and boy is it a great stress buster yeah, I mean, it's also great because it stimulates certain neurotransmitters and hormones. It really lifts the mood and it really lifts the energy levels <clears throat> because it stimulates both the catabolic and anabolic phases of the nervous system or, uh, simultaneously. <clears throat> it actually increases energy release, and, but without destroying the anabolic phases and, and it allows you to keep have more energy to do more recovery with. Uh, a good way to consider starting is with just like 30 seconds under a cold shower at the end of your shower time or something like this. But if you work up slowly, so a couple minutes, and then get into a bath, cold, just run the cold tap. Get in, in, in England, it's generally enough to just run the cold <laughs> tap. Maybe not in a hot country, like uh, you know, somewhere more, more, more sunny, like Miami or something like that. Try to do it in a few places, Miami, Egypt, and it's like you need ice to do it in those places. But um, in, in, in England, cold tap water, and uh, just sit in the bath for a minute, then go to two, then three, then four, then five. If you if you stick to going up, just cold tap water and going up to about 10 minutes and adapts to that level, that level is never really gonna be negative for anyone. It's always gonna cause these, these same type of responses. Um, if you wanna go and do more extreme things and going up to like, like I've done swimming in two degree water outdoors in, in minus four degree weather, you know, uh, these things, you, you have to really understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and there's a few tests that we should probably take you through and other things. So it's definitely, you need to respect it, but it's a powerful tool and if you use it right, you build up slowly, it's never going to be detrimental to your health. But if you go too far with it, there's definite detriments that you can create. So it is just a caveat here to be respectful to it. 
Same thing like using the sun. The sun is healthy for you, but you disrespect it, it's going to burn the, burn the hell out of your skin and that's going to cause a problem. But, you know, as in, with work that I do with Christian, as in, this year, I didn't get sunburnt at all. And we had 30 degree weather in England for three months. Yeah. Uh, I did not get sunburnt. Yeah, that's the other thing as well. And, and, and guys, you know, as in, if you know what I look like, I'm pasty redhead. And I didn't get burnt. Yeah, it's, it's understanding how to manipulate these things not just avoiding them like the play, you know? Just understand how to use them to your advantage. And there's a lot of natural processes designed in nature and in our bodies that will protect us from these things if we use it right. Well, because historically, you know, as in sunscreen, it's a new thing. Yeah. It's a new thing. It's a, well, well, yeah, in, in the scheme of things, it's, 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 it's a blip, not even that. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, but you know, things like cold therapy actually can improve your ability, your resourcefulness to deal with the, the sun. But more importantly, it's about when you get out to see the sun and how regularly you get out to see the sun. It's about building what we call solar callus, if anything. You know, <laughs> uh, being able to handle that much of the sun. You don't really see any sunburned animals going around. Now you can argue the fact that they have feathers or, or, or fur or something like this, but, you're, you, but you go out in the sun for long enough, you still get sunburned through your hair. You know, uh, so this doesn't always add up, and the reason is because they're out in the sun all the time. Their skin is constantly adapting <clears throat> and creating their own natural protective responses against it. And again, there's some people that will have more susceptibility to the sun than others. So it's a it's a personal journey to understand what your natural levels are. But if you go out in the morning sun and get the right uh, exposure then, and then the late morning, and then the afternoon sun. And then the evening sun is a whole range of protective responses that should create protection in the early phases and healing in the late phases of the day based on the use of red light, UVA, UVB, and red light again. And there's a whole process that goes through that. I've got a, a little infographic that, that, that sort of displays some of that information as well that I can give you guys. Well, Christian, thank you for being here today, dude. It's amazing having you on. Um, so, so guys, as in Christian, he's he's the most effective predict, you know, and predictable success in, in the removal of pain that, that I know, and I know a lot of professionals in in the space. Um, well, Christian, how would people reach you? Uh, well, we're actually just going through a bit of rebrand at the moment, but the new the 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 new website has just come live, I think, today. So um, it should be www.christianthompson.co.uk. And that's the website address now that people should reach me at. Um, and info at christianthompson.co.uk is the web, the best best email address to, to reach me on right and, now. And, and Thompson spelled T-H-O-M-S-O-N. Yeah, so Christian just like religion. And then Thompson, just as we said, no P, so T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And guys, you know, if, if any of the topics today, you know, you found them interesting, um, I urge you to go to Christian's group, uh, The Superhuman Experiment, yeah. it's uh, top of the pops. Uh, whenever I have a question, um, I go to Christian. That's a free group as well, just to mention that. So it's, anyone, it's a free group. It's, uh, honestly, it's in, there's not many groups providing that as an answer. Yeah, it's and, a, and, and Christian, like, is in, he's, he's also a genius of program design. Um, whereas, you know, I, I work a lot on the, the coaching of people. And then I say, as Christian, if you want a strategy of how to get to, you know, a physical goal, um, you know, he's very, very proficient. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to join, if you want to join the the group, just literally apply and 
I, I ask how we approve it uh, on the group because everyone has ability to approve. And um, if you want to get get hold of me, just send me an email or, or uh, uh, yeah, or, or check out the website even. Christian, thanks for having me on board. It's lovely hearing from you as always. Yeah, thank and, you for uh, having me. And um, you know, I know you've got something cooking up, and when you do, I'd love to have you back. Right? Yeah. Take care, my man.